This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We made it to the end of the week. Now, for us, that means it's time to dig deeper into the biggest stories in our weekly news recap. Stories like these. The Chicago City Council got the ball rolling on banning natural gas appliances in new construction in the city. But there are a couple of things they did not do. One was take up the matter of lease arbitration, and the union says that's not fair. A chaotic day at City Hall. Aldermen were met with a series of interruptions after a scheduled vote on a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza was yet again delayed. Expect a showdown on charter schools. The school board begins reviewing them and will decide on new contracts, if any. And it could affect tens of thousands of students in our area. With us in studio to break down those and other big stories from the week is Lee John Greco, government and politics reporter for Crane Chicago Business. Welcome back, Lee. Thanks so much for having me again, twice in about one week, Sasha. <laughs> we just love you, Lee. That's why. <laughs> also here in studio is Madison Saavedra, Block Club Chicago reporter covering Pilsen, Little Village, and Back of the Yards. Good to have you back, Madison. Happy to be here. And Brandon Pope is here, reporter and anchor at CW26 and host of WBEZ's Making Podcast. Good to see you, my friend. What's good? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I, I feel like we got a good one this I week. I like the scarf. Oh, thank you. I, I'm just cold. <laughs> but it is a nice 40 degree day. My WBEZ 91.5 yeah. swag, of course, of course. All right, let's uh, dig in, Lee. There was a lot of action at City Council this week, so I want to get started. Uh, but before we get to that, the Chicago Board of Ed weighed in on a pretty contentious issue this week. What is the latest on charter schools? Yeah, so uh, Chicago Board of Ed renewed contracts for 49 charter schools. Uh, so that's renewing agreements with 12 networks. Um, and basically the max extension that the board could have given these charter schools was 10 years, but they renewed most of them for three or four years. Uh, they also set some conditions like monitoring services for students with disabilities um, and students who are learning English as a new second language. Mm -hmm. um, and so obviously this is a little contentious given, you know, where the board stands today. Mm -hmm. um, it's a board appointed by the mayor uh, who's a, you know, former CTU member. Um, and, you know, on top of that, the board recently passed a resolution stating their intention to move away from school choice and focus on sending resources to neighborhood schools. Now, to be fair, that resolution doesn't call for closing any of the charter schools. Right. But the board is saying that they are going to take a closer look at that. Yeah, you mentioned the mayor there, Lee. Where does he stand? And we know he's a former public school teacher, organizer for the teachers union. Where does he stand on this issue? Uh, well, on the on the charter schools issue, um, I, I guess what I can say, the, the mayor has been, um, you know, pretty careful about weighing in on this. Uh, I remember I asked him about the uh, board earlier this fall um, because the uh, state house is trying to figure out um, basically the structure of the school board, whether it's going to be entirely elected um, or appointed. Um, and so I think the mayor has been really careful um, not to weigh in on these issues, yeah. um, given his background. The charter schools, they wanted their contracts renewed for 10 years, but they've been uh, coming under intense scrutiny around things like special ed services, right? I mean, do you think they're feeling less confident now about their future? I, I think, I mean, I can't speak for how they're feeling, but I think that would be fair to say, given, yeah. you know, what the max extension is and what they're getting. And, you know, the fact that the board is probably going to change, um, you know, 
in in that next election, however yeah. it's structured. Um, and so, yeah, it, things are a little tenuous for them. Yeah, for sure. Brandon, are you at all surprised hearing, you know, Johnson make life a little tougher for charter schools? <laughs> well, it's not surprising given the background, but he's he's walked, he's tried to walk a line here. He's, you know, his background would say, I mean, they've been pretty anti-charter schools with CTU, yet he's now tried to say, yeah, but I'm not against them existing overall. Um, he's got to walk that line because it's a very contentious issue. We already know the political pressure happening around numerous issues in Chicago. And once this dropped, this you know, proposed resolution to, um, you know, really promote neighborhood schooling, it got a lot of people uh, riled up there. So he's yeah. trying to ease tensions at this point. He's walking a delicate line. Madison, what about families that uh, live in neighborhoods that you cover? How do you think they're feeling? Like in Pilsen, how, how would they be affected? Well, I imagine there's a lot of feelings among those families that they want more attention and focus on their and, you know, resources directed towards their neighborhood schools. That's something I have reported on and, and spoken to families about, not not particularly recently. Um, but those big neighborhood schools where, you know, it pulls a lot of kids in and they don't have things like, you know, great, you know, programs like after school programs get cut there athletic programs like don't get particularly funded um you know those are the issues that have lasted for you know quite a while yeah. so um i don't know it's maybe I, I should probably do some more reporting on it it's actually interesting you mentioned that madison and looking at little village specifically i remember going there on the day of the mayoral election last year and folks weren't talking about voting for Brandon Johnson, they were talking about voting against Paul Vallis mm. for those very reasons that you mentioned, because they felt like, uh, you know, he was taking away resources from those neighborhood schools. So I think that is really an issue that hits that community hard. Um, and, you know, that's why people are getting so riled up yeah. about this. Well, let's turn to city council now. Mayor Johnson entered the heated debate over what is happening in Gaza. So let's hear a little bit of what he said in council chambers on Wednesday. At this point now, uh, I believe we're looking at 25,000 Palestinians that have been killed um, uh, during this, this war, and um, the killing has to stop. So, yes, we need a ceasefire. What do you think, Brandon? I mean, does, does Johnson risk alienating parts of Chicago's Jewish community? with that position? Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the most contentious issues of our time, but it's not only the Jewish community he was alienating. He has to walk a tight line because he's the the most prominent mayor in American cities right now to actually endorse a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, you also have the DNC coming he here in 2024, the Democratic Party having an internal battle over where they stand on this Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, and here's Brandon Johnson in ground zero of where the Democrats are going to be gathering, mm -hmm. taking a hardline stance here. That's going to apply some pressure to Joe Biden and his administration, which are getting a lot of heat because of their stance on Gaza and what's happening over there. Yeah. The city council was originally scheduled to vote on a ceasefire resolution on Wednesday, right, Lee? Yes. What happened? So a couple things happened this week, actually, earlier in the week. Um, so there's this resolution to call for a ceasefire and... Uh, 28 alders led by the only Jewish alder woman or alder person rather um, in city council, Deb Silverstein, uh, called to delay that until after Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is January 27th. Um, and so, of course, the progressives uh, who led that resolution 
um, you know, really kind of took umbrage with that. Mm -hmm. Um, From their point of view, it is actually, in a way, fitting to call for a ceasefire um, because of how many Palestinians have died there. Um, And so essentially what happened was, uh, you know, like a couple of things at city council this week, um, it was punted. um, So they're probably going to revisit it on January 31st. It's pushed now to to next week. Uh, City council is also considering new regulations for dollar stores, Madison. Mm -hmm. What's going on? So, yes, similarly, the city council was supposed to vote on an ordinance that would prohibit dollar stores from opening within a mile of an existing location owned by the same company. So Mm -hmm. that's things like dollar store, but also dollar tree, which are, are, I believe, owned by the same company. It's being uh, spearheaded by Alderman Matt O'Shea, the 19th Ward. It was originally, like, introduced back in October. Um, and I believe it stems from just a number of issues that older people have spoken about with dollar stores. Um, you know, things like it just being really dirty, like the inside of the store and the outside of the store. Um, I believe Alderwoman uh, Jeanette Taylor spoke about this during the license meeting earlier this week. Wonderful that you should bring her up. Let's listen to the 20th Ward Alder telling uh, City Council what she thinks of the dollar stores in her Southside neighborhood. Their stores are filthy. They don't keep the trash up in front of the communities. In my community, there is one a block up from my house, and every other week I'm calling them about a gate that's down, which causes people to come in and out of that that portion of the community. I would love for y'all to put up a um, a map to show where they're concentrated at, and I guarantee you I know exactly where they're concentrated at. Mm. So uh, concerns then, Madison, that, that restricting dollar stores could limit options for lower-income families and for those on a budget? Yes, that, that is a concern, and that's what some of the critics are saying. Um, also, in a statement, the Dollar Tree spokesperson uh, urged older people to rescind the proposal and instead collaborate with the company. Um, but what I thought was, was funny, maybe a little interesting, Alderman uh, Ronnie Mosley mentioned that he's had consistent issues with store and stores in his far south side ward, but he had never heard from company representatives until this ordinance until was now. introduced in the fall. And that's sort of the, the whole reason why they did this. Mm-hmm. They're hoping that by passing something like this, it applies that pressure to these companies to keep their stores more put together. Because, I mean, let's be honest, if you go out and see some of them, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, she ain't lying. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, Yeah, no, she has a point. Yeah, it's really bad. It's yeah, really she bad. Has a Trash point. everywhere. Just it's, it's bad. When do, when do we expect the ordinance to get voted on? So it's been delayed until the next city council meeting, which is scheduled for next week, January I 31st. I see. And you have, you have thoughts? I was just going to say, to that point on applying pressure, sometimes even if an ordinance fails, just by getting it out there and kind of airing dirty mm-hmm. laundry, that does apply pressure on these companies. Mm-hmm. Sure does. I think that's the hope. Absolutely. And uh, we've all been turning up the heat in our homes over the last mm-hmm. few weeks. I know I have. I've been trying not to. Yeah. I have. Trying to hold on. Well, well, one night my daughter turned it up way too much. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, no, and and I had, there was a scene. It was literally like a scene out of a movie. Got up and you know, middle of the night, dripping sweat. <laughs> and I was like, who is responsible for this? Uh, but uh, how the heat, you know, how we heat our homes, that may change if if our mayor has his way. So tell us what the mayor is proposing, Lee. Yeah, so this would effectively ban natural gas in uh, any new construction, uh, but also additions. 
Um, and again, uh, like a few of the things this week, uh, this was this was punted. This Another time. delay. Another delay. It was it was sent to rules. Basically, what happens in city council is, uh, I guess, if I were to sketch out an "I'm just a bill" sort of thing here, <laughs> when, <laughs> when something is sent to rules, that's a way to delay it because then council has to vote to get it out of rules and then send it to the relevant committee. And so that's yeah. what happened with this ban, uh, this or this proposed ban this yeah. week. Which was supposed to apply to both new home and business construction. Yeah, right? commercial and home. And then, as I mentioned, that addition part, um, I spoke with uh, Alderwoman Maria Haddon about this earlier this week. That's still in negotiation in terms of, you know, what percentage would constitute a major renovation. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems that it, you know, would apply to, um, you know, major major heating renovations and that sort of thing, but also like you know how much of your house or commercial business or whatever is going under renovation. It's really important to note the proposal wouldn't require existing homes and businesses to switch to electric appliances and, and get rid of gas furnaces, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what is the argument that the mayor's making in support of this? Yeah, so this fits in with one of his campaign promises. Um, you know, to environmentalists, basically, that switching over to not only electric, um, but also other types of renewables uh, that might be available in the future, um, you know, will help people. Uh, the opposition is coming out from kind of two different camps. Uh, you have, you know, your trade unions. Uh, when I was at City Council on Monday, there were a whole bunch of trade guys showing up, uh, you know, the pipe fitters union, they're against this. Um, of course, on the business side, you have people's gas. Um, but then you also had the uh, Southland Black Chamber of Commerce who is arguing that, you know, this is going to hurt black communities. It's going to hurt people who rely on gas. Um, and, you know, it might be too expensive for them to switch over to electric. Um, or if the power goes out and yeah. it's really cold months like we've had and Oof. you only have electric heat, then you're kind of, you know, up a creek without a paddle. Yeah. I mean, and Brandon and Madison, I mean, what, what do you think? <laughs> Even if this gas ban doesn't pass, I mean, do you think it could have an impact or maybe get people who hadn't thought about electric appliances to reconsider? I'm, I'm sure people may start thinking about that. But the point that you just made, Lee, about the electric Look, <laughs> anyone, has had, anyone that's had to have electric heat and you look at that electric bill after a cold mm-hmm. winter, mm-hmm. ooh-wee. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it's hard to sell that to low-income and middle-income families. It's absolutely. already tough enough to pay the bills. And we all know Chicago gets cold. Mm-hmm. Like, come on now. That's tough. Yeah, no, I mean, just speaking personally, I have, you know, gas, heat, and mm-hmm. my electricity bill is, st- is still already, like, higher than my personal gas bill. And I think something that, um, you know, c- critics or people who have concerns about this, they want to make sure that the grid system, the, you know, the electric grid system that we have has the capacity to handle that. So I think I think it could you could bring more people on board if you get you know, ComEd to say, yes, confidently, we could handle if the entire city of Chicago was, you know, went electric. Mm -hmm. But that's the tough sell because also people's gas, companies like that, they got a workforce as well. And they're thinking about the future of their operations. If we're going to cut gas altogether for future buildings, businesses and um, um, residential, where do they fit in, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, Brandon, uh, while you're talking there, the mayor reopened the city's Department of the Environment, and now he's proposed that uh, a pretty dramatic change, right? Does it seem clear environmental issues are a priority for him? Uh, yes, absolutely. It's something he ran on. Um, 
environmental issues are tough to communicate to a general voter base, though, you know, because it's tough to make that connection to, like, how does this apply to your daily life? And so that's the challenge that any candidate, any person in office has to has to deal with. And so that's the challenge for uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson here. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot attempted to step into this when mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and many critics within the, the, her office uh, who left say it didn't go over well. So Johnson trying to correct that. He is a progressive mayor, the first really the most progressive mayor the city's had and maybe the most progressive uh, mayor in America. So it's a real litmus test for how far can you go on those issues for a place like Chicago that's Maybe not as far left as people think it is. Yeah. I think also to the point of how, how do these issues affect people in their daily lives, we did see that a little bit during the Lightfoot administration uh, when we had those fights about environmental racism where yep. industry is concentrated, which is mostly on the south and west sides. I know Little Village, you can probably speak to that, Madison, about how that community is those impacted. factories, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean... That's something I, I've, I've recently spoken to people about, and you know, maybe I can hint, got some stories in the future. But um, yeah, I think some of the biggest issues facing the Southwest side that I'll, I'm personally curious to see how Johnson administrations deal with. Um, you know, there's a metal shredder in Pilsen, Sims Metal, that I've done quite a bit of reporting on that, you mm-hmm. know, as well as other environmental reporters here in the city. Um, the Hillco smokestack demolition, um, you know, from 2020, you know, a class action lawsuit um, was just settled, the multi-million dollar settlement from last week. Um, but I just don't think that's the end of that story. So yeah. I'm very curious to see how the, this Department of Environment deals with some of those. And even beyond that, how you how do you handle carbon emissions? We we It's been well documented, the issues with CTA and service. How do you prioritize that and get more people to ride public transportation and get less cars on the road, Chicago traffic lately seems like it's gotten worse. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, it sure has. How do you get more cars off the road and get people back on trains and buses? That's a challenge as well. Let's turn now to the escalating tension over the migrant situation. J.B. Pritzker joined other governors in asking Washington for help. Madison, fill us in. Yeah, so Governor J.B. Pritzker joined, uh, I believe, eight other state governors in asking the federal administration to, quote, quickly negotiate a border security agreement. I What does that mean? Yeah, I wish I knew. I mean, does does the federal government quickly negotiate anything? Uh, especially, uh, especially on such a hot-button issue of immigration and um this isn't the first time there's yeah. been this call for federal action. I mean, state, city, I mean, probably even county officials have been asking the federal government to step in. And and while I do applaud this coalition of governors, I mean, and across the country, um, I, I am personally extremely skeptical that mm-hmm. it's really going to do much to urge the federal government to act. Well, the, the Democratic governors, this is what they wrote, quote, it is clear our national immigration system is outdated and unprepared to respond to this unprecedented global migration. So is it normal, Brandon, for governors to be confronting the president of of their own party like this? No, (laughs) (laughs) not at all. But look, what the Republican governors and Republican Party have done is they've taken a border issue, which affects border towns usually, and through political games like that, that they played with people's lives, have made this uh, an issue that's a national issue now. So people that were ignoring the the years-long uh, border debates within the Republican Party, um, it's now becoming a multi-party uh, conversation. And so it's forced the hand because we're seeing New York, uh, Denver, Chicago, all dealing with this influx 
of, of asylum seekers and not having the resources to deal with it. Yeah. And these Republican governors and mayors say, well, we've been dealing with that. <laughs> so now it's your turn. Right. So it's really uh, pressure is on the Biden administration, all the Senate and House Democrats and Senate and House Republicans. But it's fascinating because is the pressure really on the Senate and House Republicans right now? Because uh, you heard uh, former President Donald Trump. He has basically signaled to House Republican leaders, maybe we shouldn't move on border policy until after this 2024 election. Yeah, the, the former president, it, <clears throat> he is making the border crisis a focus of his reelection campaign, right? I, I mean, do Republicans want to find a workable solution at this point, Lee? Mm. Um, you know, I don't think they do because it seems like Trump is still the, you know, de facto leader of the Republican Party right now. Um, he is still... Uh, appears to be the leader in in the polls and the primaries at the moment. Um, so this is another example of you know Trump governing by chaos and then House Republicans doing the same. Um, I, I think it just shows how far we've come, not in a good way, mm -hmm. um, over the last decade when it comes to uh, just working across the aisle. I mean, I'm going to date myself here. I remember when I was an intern ten years ago on Capitol Hill covering, uh, you know, the border crisis then. And it seemed like we were going to get close to a deal. And now I just don't see even getting close. Wow. Uh, Governor Pritzker is not only involved in a public spat with the president over immigration, but Mayor Johnson, too. This is over shelter space for migrants. Let's listen. Uh, the city has not told the state where they would like us to put our resources to build new shelters or help them build new shelters. So we can't help if they don't identify those locations. Uh, and we need to make sure that we're uh, not ending shelter capacity as the city is now planning to do at the end of winter. So any of you surprised at all to hear the governor criticize Chicago like this? Not particularly, because it's not the first time he's done it uh, during this, you know, this crisis, this migrant situation. What does, I guess, a bit surprise me is how public the, the mayor and the governor are being uh, with these, you know, dueling comments at press conferences mm -hmm. or, you know, press releases from their spokespeople. It, uh, it doesn't necessarily, there. yeah, it doesn't necessarily bode well for any kind of like party unity. Not saying that's really their goal. Uh, you know, it, it's almost seems like they're, you know, tr trying to trying to score some points with being like, oh, I have the great idea of like how we're going to move this forward. Um. And so we had Mayor Johnson kind of counter that, saying that the city has provided the state with a number of locations where they could build a shelter and that they don't necessarily have to build them in the city of Chicago. Right, they said they could be outside. State. Yeah, uh, but I, my understanding is that Pritzker responded with all of the infrastructure for this mission is in the city of Chicago. So that's where cities, I guess, or that's where shelters should ideally be placed. That is a good point, actually. I did a story uh, back in the fall. Um, Mike Resky, um, he's a big developer in Chicago, and he had an, he had an idea to uh, use some vacant or nearly vacant hotels out in the suburbs to house migrants. And one of the cons with that is that they are, you know, further from resources. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if they have to go to the hospital, which is um, all that's provided by Cook County, not the city, which handles the actual shelter. Um, you know, they would have to go from the burbs into the city. So, yeah, it's a lot easier when everything is centralized. And, yeah, on, on the point, Sasha, of 
were we surprised by this? Absolutely not. There's yeah. so much tension that has been. Oh, yeah, you all shook your heads. No. Yeah, <laughs> even just talk. I remember talking to the governor in the fall at an event, and I asked him about the migrant crisis, and he said, "Well, the city hasn't made a formal request for funding." And it was it was a very odd. Like, are you throwing the mayor under the bus in front of me? Is that what's happening? Precisely. Here? Yeah, that's what he was doing. Well, you know, the mayor's facing a dilemma, right? If he sticks with this. 60-day shelter policy. Some 6,000 migrants could start being evicted next week, Madison. Yesterday, we know nearly a third of the alders asked him to scrap that policy, right? What happened? Well, yeah, a group of alder people are asking the mayor to rescind the 60-day policy at least until warmer weather, Mm -hmm. is my understanding. And, And this list of alder people includes some really tight allies of the mayor, you know, I, including, wow. um, you know, my Pilsen alderman who I cover a lot, uh, Byron Cicho Lopez, he was one of those people that signed it, um, as well as uh, Alderman Andre Vasquez, who heads the Committee on Immigrant, Migrant, and Refugee Rights. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's this real concern that if these evictions move forward, that's quoting the, the letter, that you're going to, or quoting Vasquez, that you're going to see these people just end up homeless again, that they're going to be, they're going to take shelter under viaducts yeah. in parks, in tents. Um, and winter, winter is not over. You know, I think. Right. Winter's not over. He halted these uh, evictions in the first place because of the sub-zero cold. I mean, so do we think it's realistic then that there's a chance he delays it again? I personally would not be surprised. Yeah. We've already seen it delayed twice. Winter's not pretty, over and it's unpredictable yeah. mm-hmm. in this city. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So unpredictable. Sometimes it doesn't end until May, realistically. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Frequently. Most yeah. times. I, I don't put my coats away until Memorial Day weekend. Well, I'm from Buffalo, so 40 was, degrees is spring. I was just telling someone that I know that was trying to make outdoor April plans. I said, oh, no, honey. <laughs> don't do it. Oh, I, I just, you see once again with, with Mayor Brandon Johnson a real test of what does having a progressive mayor actually mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, the com- the communities of color that help put him into that mayor's office do not lean as far left as a lot of his supporters actually are. And so this migrant crisis has kind of tested that. And so even in the in the back and forth with Pritzker, you see a tug of war between him trying to virtue signal to the people of color that elected him saying, hey, I I hear your concerns. There's only so much we can do. And then on the other end, trying to still, you know, have humane, safe and and welcoming policies that Chicago is known for as a city. It's a constant tug of war here. And you're seeing that play out with the 60 day eviction policy with his own progressive allies joining in and saying, hey, man, uh, we got to hold off on this. Well, while other people within his base are saying, nah, just like in New York with Mayor Adams, we have to, you know, have, have a stop or some sort of controls at some point. So uh, it's fascinating to see that tug of war play out. As the city tries to find ways to help these migrants, some alders are calling for more oversight in how the city is spending its federal funding. Uh, what are the details here? 34th Ward uh, Alderman Bill Conway is introducing something? Yes. Uh, so we introduced this earlier this week. Again, it was, spoiler alert, punted. <laughs> <laughs> Another delay? Over to rules. Um, but basically, his proposal uh, would require council approval uh, before the city spends over a million dollars in COVID relief funds. These are uh, the funds under the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, and so they were meant for COVID 
relief. If you go and look at all the different ways that you can use this money, um, it is actually pretty broad. And so the city does have some leeway to use it for the migrant crisis. However, uh, alders like Conway were upset that uh, the mayor didn't ask for approval uh, before using $95 million mm. of these funds back in December. Um, instead, the mayor um, you know, took everyone into basically closed door meetings uh, with small tranches of alders and said, hey, this is how we're going to use these funds. From his perspective, he believes that that is, you know, transparent and giving them a heads up. But from the perspective of Conway and uh, the other now 27 alders uh, who have signed on to his ordinance, um, that's not enough. And what's interesting uh, to the point on the last story we were talking about this is getting support, not just from more moderate alders and, you know, some of the really vocal critics against the mayor like, uh, you know, Lopez and Beal and Spazzato. It's also getting support from the progressive wing, mm-hmm. from some of his supporters, um, like alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, like Julia Ramirez, who, um, you know, was harassed by protesters uh, who didn't want a camp in Brighton Park. Yeah. She called for transparency back then in October. And again, Andre Vasquez, um, who was also signed on to this. And I saw him on Monday and he and Conway were talking about how much they like this proposal. So you're really starting to see uh, that progressive wing um I don't want to say fall apart yet, but they're they're getting upset about this lack of transparency mm-hmm. from the mayor, not just on the migrant crisis, but a number of issues. All right. Well, let's get off them and turn to Springfield, Brandon. <laughs> Legislators have been weighing in on some potentially dangerous food additives. What's that about? Yeah, it's called the Illinois Food Safety Act. It would ban uh, lots of different food additives, red dye number three being one of them, uh, potassium bromate, and some other ones that I cannot pronounce <laughs> that <laughs> Which, should speak to why maybe they want to get rid of it yeah, really speaks <laughs> to it if propyl paraben you said propyl paraben is that how you say it i think so beautiful well done well done <laughs> but uh if i can't say it i probably shouldn't eat it uh california passed a similar bill <laughs> i mean that's just it's the truth california passed a similar bill uh so it's kind of given a lot of states momentum to kind of do their own uh, the concern here is that there's a lot of toxic effects that happen from red dye number three and bromate in particular to the thyroid, the mm-hmm. kidney. Um, and we all know that can do a lot of damage and have serious health consequences, heart disease, liver disease, high blood pressure, yeah. stroke, all kinds. And, of and we find these additives at the grocery store in those frosted pink and red cookies yep. that my kids love to ask me to buy. That red drink. And, no, <laughs> and items that are bright white. Uh, we talked about this earlier this week on Recent. and We had health coach Rochelle Trotter on. Uh, And here's a little bit of what she had to say about the potential dangers. A lot of behavioral problems in kids as well as reproductive issues relative to red dye number five. If you're talking about titanium dioxide and things like that, that has been linked to cancer in lab animals. Brominated vegetable oil is a horrible one. Um, It has been shown to cause thyroid issues in lab rats, but more than anything, that one has endocrine issues, which deal with the reproduction um, systems. Yeah, uh, it was a lot, and it was bad. Uh, definitely something that we all need to be aware of. I'm going to just uh, eat a salad. Yeah, so... Can I not eat fruit roll-ups anymore? We will that see. I think, uh, yeah, like, what about, are all red things off the table? Like, I, I clearly need to be reading up Just look for this. red dye number three, and if it's not in there, you're good. Uh, so we're going to see whether that legislation passes. Even if it does, it wouldn't actually go into effect until 2027. Um, 
I'll probably have kidney disease by then. Don't say that. All right, turning now to a series of stories involving Chicago police. Let's let's j- jump through these real quick. Uh, Superintendent Larry Snelling voiced his support for a technology that's come under a lot of fire, Madison. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah, so this week was the first in a series of town hall events where Super uh, Superintendent Snelling is talking to residents, uh, you know, answering questions. Um, and he, so this was earlier this week, he reaffirmed his support for ShotSpotter. So this very controversial technology, um, which it's, it's not particularly surprising to hear him say that. He, in the past, has said that he is a big fan of technology um, as an asset or like a way to help police officers. So He says uh, it's the number one way for us to solve crime. Yes, yes, he does. And the I'd say the big um, counterclaim to that is uh, there's been studies that show that question its efficacy um, and warn that it can contribute to like over policing. Um, you know, it, it essentially it picks up a sound, the sound of gunshots, and it sends police there. And if it picks up a sound that isn't gunshots, then you've just sent um, you know police officers who are seemingly ready and prepared for for gunfire um, to a situation where maybe it's not necessary. Mm. Um, and while he was campaigning, Mayor Brandon Johnson. He campaigned on, um, you know, questioning it, like wanting to end, like looking into ending the city contract, but kind of stopped short of explicitly saying he would cancel the city contract with it. So you have that and you have the superintendent saying he's a fan of it. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I, it it's seems to be like anywhere. the end of the story. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. There was also that strange uh, thing that happened earlier this fall where a shot spotter, not the contract that's up in February, but sort of a, a shorter-term contract was renewed via like an automated signature. Right, there was right, a right. lot of confusion in City Hall around how that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another one of those City Hall mysteries mm. for sure. Uh, well, <laughs> Brandon, a Chicago police officer and his sister—they uh, were sentenced this week. This was for their participation in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Where did the judge come down on these two? Uh, well, most people who were involved in the Capitol insurrection have faced at least a year of jail time. Mm-hmm. These two escaped jail time altogether. Uh, the judge acknowledged it was a lenient sentence. He gave them three months home confinement and three years probation. Uh, judge, Why? The judge didn't feel like it was uh, the sentencing didn't need to be too harsh because uh, they had no criminal history and they were in the Capitol for eight minutes and they were not violent. Um, keep in mind. Uh, Carol Chuswick, well, this is a former CPD officer. He was caught on camera wearing a CPD hoodie <laughs> inside Nancy Pelosi's office um, in 4K. So, you know, uh, there's currently at least 44 Illinois residents who have faced federal charges for their involvement in the Capitol insurrection. And this is the lightest of those sentences so far. Interesting. Uh, leave us with this, Lee. City Council is debating how police officers accused of misconduct will be disciplined. What is the latest? Yeah, so Johnson asked the city council to reject for a second time an arbiter's ruling that would allow police officers represented by the FOP, that's the Fraternal Order of Police, who are facing severe discipline over a year suspension up to termination to bypass the mayoral appointed Chicago Police Board and instead have their fate determined by an independent arbiter. So um, the mayor decided rather, you know, than have a potentially embarrassing vote on this Mm -hmm. to send the matter back to committee um, and uh, uh, 
yeah, and sorry, I was going to stumble there, but uh, yeah, supporters of the FOP tried to um, force a vote. They were defeated 27 to 20, mm-hmm. um, but FOP President uh, John Catanzara was there uh, during this very contentious. Uh, and he called the mayor a coward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, open your checkbook, um, because uh, he says that his union would sue the city to enforce uh, the arbiter's ruling. Ooh. All right. Now we got to talk about sports. Brandon, last week we talked about the White Sox considering a move to the South Loop. Now I hear that Indiana is trying to lure the Bears. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's enough to make you chuckle a little bit, but they think it's a reality. <laughs> uh, State Representative Earl Harris Jr., um, he represents East Chicago. Um, he is the son of uh, the late Representative Earl Harris Sr., whose dream was to bring a sports franchise to Northwest Indiana. He's trying to fulfill his father's mission, so he's developing a bill that would appoint a 19-member sports commission to recruit, ideally, the Chicago Bears to build their new stadium in northwest Indiana, the region. Um, they believe there's lots of great benefits. They think it's cheaper to build a stadium over there, which mm-hmm. is true. Yes. They think it's not that far away from Chicago. It'd be, they say, about a similar distance to Arlington Heights. Um, and great economic Oh, ben- is it really? Yeah, and then it depends on where you're coming from. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, you left that out. That's the trick. That's the trick. Hey, he's a politician. Uh, but also, they believe there's going to be great economic benefits, obviously, for northwest Indiana, if that were to happen. Um, but the chances of that seem I mean, pretty slim. come on. Can we say that this is something like, you know, the, the New York Jets or the Giants who actually play in Jersey. Right. That's why the Buffalo Bills are the only New York team. So true. Mm-hmm. The only one in New York yeah. State. Good point. Mm-hmm. The Washington Commanders, I think, are in Virginia. Yep. No. FedEx? No, no, they're in Maryland. They're in Maryland. Oh, they're in Maryland. There you go. Yeah, oh, they're in Orlando, Landover, yeah. Maryland. Yeah, I, knew, I just knew they weren't in D.C. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what do you think, Madison? The Indiana Bears. You going That's to a, a game? No, well, uh, <laughs> not to expose myself here, but I'm not really a you know Chicago Bears fan. But I do. I don't think Indiana Bears has How dare you say as that on much airwaves. of a ring, a good ring to it as the Chicago Bears does. Um, I mean, I think it'd be. I I think it's a point of pride to have a team and a stadium in the city of Chicago. And I know they're they've you know talked about moving outside the city, but you know staying in Illinois. I, as someone who has very little stake in it, I do hope they stay in the city of Chicago. I, I hope they can make it work. Mm-hmm. At this point, I mean, their top priority is a stadium. And so mm-hmm. that is true. That's what they're going to try to do. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the Bears, Brandon, they've hired a new offensive coordinator who's Shane Waldron. Where is he from? Yeah, uh, he, Shane Waldron is the former offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he helped Geno Smith become NFL's comeback player of the year in 2022. Um, but he's received a lot of flack because his offenses aren't known to be creative. They're kind of boring. And people who are Bears fans are used to offenses that are not creative and kind of boring. (laughs) That's why they let go of Luke Getze. Um, But there's a lot of interest and news around this hire in particular because the Bears have a huge decision. They have the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Mm -hmm. Do they keep Justin Fields or do they draft a new generational signal caller in Caleb Williams? Um, and so people have been trying to read between tea leaves. Does this mean they're going to keep Justin or are they going to oh, they're keeping go with Justin. Caleb? You think they're keeping Justin? Yeah. If I were a betting man, I'd bet they draft number one overall. Really? And trade Justin mm. or maybe keep him and bench him. Well, there was a yeah. big upset in Big Ten basketball on Wednesday. People were celebrating in Evanston, Brandon. Good old Evanston, <laughs> Illinois. They, they rarely get 
really big basketball moments, but their program's been rising. They got a big upset win in overtime over their state rival, uh, U of I. Um, and this was a huge Big Ten win for them. They're now 10-1 and one, uh, oh, in the Big Ten at home. Amazing. That's huge for them um, as they look to build momentum and try to make the tournament. This is a team that's only made, I believe, one NCAA tournament in their entire uh, basketball history. It's kind of surprising. You're in Chicago, a hotbed for basketball talent. You could be the Duke of the Midwest, you would think, but hasn't happened yet. But this is a momentum-building win for that program and bragging rights as well uh, in-state. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Northwestern, the U.S. Department of Ed is investigating complaints of anti-Semitism at the university. What's that about, Madison? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've seen this play out at quite a few universities since the start of the Israel-Hamas war um, You know that began in October. But like you mentioned, now Northwestern University is being investigated. Uh, the, a complaint was filed by the editor-in-chief of a conservative website over the university's response to allegedly um, anti-Semitic incidents. Um, and, and these incidents, according to some reporting from the university student newspaper, included a vigil where the colors of a, the Palestine flag were projected onto a building uh, and where there was a student walkout demanding the university and relationships with orgs that support Israel. Um, mm. I'll, I'll be curious to see how this investigation goes. You know, like I mentioned, we've seen these similar tensions play out at, you know, some of the highest universities um, in the country. And this, you know, seems like the closest one to, to home for us. Wow. Uh, Shifting gears, Lee, you had a story that I wanted to bring in here. It was about the newly announced vice chair of World Business Chicago. Who's Charles Smith? Yeah, so Charles Smith, um, he has a great story. Uh, he worked his way up from the mailroom at CNA Insurance uh, when he was a young man, went on to found uh, his own business, CS Insurance Strategies. Um, and so, you know, he's still, he's very young. He's like 45 years old. And oh. uh, now he's taken on a role uh, that Melody Hobson, uh, she was she is CEO of Aerial Investments, mm-hmm. had. Um, and, you know, World Business Chicago, uh, this is a really important role. It's, um, you know, works with the city and uh, and the business community to attract new businesses to Chicago, but also retain the ones that are here. Um, and so, you know, the other thing that's really interesting about Charles is he's a West Side native. And okay. one of his priorities is connecting people from the neighborhoods, you know, like the West Side um, to some of the big corporations in Chicago. Because when he was growing up, he said that, you know, he didn't have those opportunities. So I think it'll be a really interesting way uh, to... Nice little Chicago story. Yeah, Chicago story. And also maybe see through some of the promises that, um, you know, Brandon Johnson made on the campaign about sort of, you know, being the mayor of all of Chicago. Now, hopefully we have uh, a business leader who can kind of in all of Chicago. Right, right. Well, folks, voting has begun. No, I'm not talking about the March primary. Oh, oh I am talking about scared me. the city's <laughs> snowplow naming contest. Have you been paying attention? Important. The Department of Streets and San has named the 50 finalists. I'm sure you've all been checking out the list. Among them are Better Call Salt, <laughs> Buddy Geisicle, and Chance the Scraper. Hmm. Oh, there's even Skilling It. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, Chicagoans can vote for up to six names on the city's website, and voting ends on February 2nd. Now, do any of those sound like winners to you all? 
got to go with skilling it, right? Skilling it <laughs> seems like a, a winner for sure. I mean, to honor him, he's been on the air for so many years. It's just got a nice ring to it. Yeah. 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 My favorite that you didn't mention, but is uh, Casimir Plawowski. <laughs> yes. See, I knew one of you would have been paying attention my, to this. My favorite is Austin Plowers. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> That's good, too. Yeah. I'm not mad at Chance the Scraper. Uh, but know. we've done just, that. We've done that already. Yeah. Maybe come out with a better album. Okay, and we'll talk. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm by myself on that one. <laughs> wow, guys. Wow, wow, wow. No support. All right. It's time for y'all to go. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we've been cut off. You've been cut off. Never again on the recap. Uh, no, but what's going on with y'all next week? Uh, what stories are on your radar? You firstly. Uh, well, I've. As always, have some uh, city council and uh, DNC stories in the cooker. Um, so looking at those, um, I do also want to take this as a little chance. You know, PSA. Um, I'm I'm wearing a mask right now because COVID is still going around. Um, so I want to urge anybody, especially if you're going to the doctor or a healthcare facility, mm-hmm. protect yourself. Pop on a mask. Protect other folks in Chicago. Nice. Thank you, Lee. Brandon. Uh, I've got two big exclusive interviews with Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren, the first black GM for the Bears and the first uh, team president and CEO for the Bears, talking about their vision for the uh, for the team, for the future. And uh, we'll see, uh, you'll hear things about the Bears that you might want to hear. Ooh. <laughs> Are they going to Indiana? Oh. You'll find dun, dun, dun. out. <laughs> Lies. Madison. Something on my docket for next week is a public meeting regarding the demolition of the Damon silos down in McKinley Park. That's a story I've been covering for a bit. The Army Corps of Engineers is hosting this meeting because uh, in order to demolish the, the silos, the, the contractors or the developers need a federal permit. So mm. it's, you know, it, it's a little, uh, well, you know, niche. You, but well, you'll, you'll, you'll make it. You know, easy for us to understand, right? I'll, I'll end, do my best. Is that the end of the secret raves that go on around yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. Been spreading all over TikTok. I've heard about it. All right, those, party man. animals, time to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for the recap. My thanks to Madison Saavedra, Lee John Greco, and Brandon Pope. Thank you all. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.